Hello, Fellowship. I have an important announcement today that requires your prayer and participation. As a church body, it's time to nominate new elders to the elder board, as four of our current elders will be completing their terms of service next summer. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of all the congregations of fellowship. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And here is what we're asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Then, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to make a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or, if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one of those up in the Worship Center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 19th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate this process. Our desire is to be sensitive and responsive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And finally, we would like to thank Rod Easley, Steve Lampkin, Dick Nervig, and Steve Weber for their years of service as elders. They have served the Lord faithfully and diligently during their tenure and have represented you well. When you see them, please thank them personally. Blessings to each of you for your prayers and participation in this phase of the elder nomination process. Thank you. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church uh, here in Bentonville this morning. The team has a, a sweet morning of worship prepared for us as we get to gather and worship our Lord uh, together. So really grateful that you're here. Uh, it's a big season, a lot of things coming up. We have three weeks, including this morning, uh, left of our Ephesian series. So what that means is here in a couple of weeks, you're going to come in, and this place is going to be decorated for a holiday called Christmas, all right? And I know that's probably a couple of months behind some of your living rooms, and that's okay. But uh, we get to move into the end of this year, and as we do, as we get ready to prep for uh, 2023. It is a big season for our church. You probably just saw this video if you're just coming in. Uh, don't worry, it's going to get shown the next couple of weeks as well. But this is the season where we begin this elder nomination uh, process. And so you may feel moved by the Spirit to actually nominate someone uh, for that position. Uh, this will be going on at all of our congregations. But even if you don't, we want to invite you to pray. Uh, we want to cover this whole process in prayer as a church, no matter what your age. And so uh, what I did this morning was just set a little reminder on my phone for every Monday morning at 8 o'clock, uh, just to repeat and remind me, hey, take five minutes and pray over this process. And so we want to invite our whole church to do that together with us. As we move into the holiday season, we know that holidays are not always joyful for everyone. And sometimes it can actually be a really hard season, especially if you've experienced some type of loss and are grieving, um, even if it was years ago. And so want to let you know a reminder about something that's happening this Tuesday night at our Rogers campus. Our Grief Share Ministry is actually just hosting a one-night thing. You're not signing up for ongoing commitments or anything like that. It's just a chance to gather with others 
uh, to be in community, to be loved on, and to get some, some helpful tools just how to navigate this season if you're experiencing grief and loss. And so if you feel that nudge of like, you know what, I should probably go to that, just go. Just take some time to slow down and be in the midst of others because we as a church want to walk through the joyful seasons and the really hard seasons together with you. So we're going to invite you to do that. Uh, this is everybody's favorite Sunday of the month. It's first Sunday, so you see a lot of young faces over here, literally filled up over here. Uh, we've got our junior high and high schoolers giving some whoop whoops, but also you'll see them up here in our choir and helping lead us in worship today. And this morning, we actually get to celebrate in baptism with one of our high schoolers as well. So we've got one of our 10th graders. Her cell group's going to go ahead and come on up. Uh, this is Ruby Freeman, and I think I'm going to pass it off to Cassidy Pearson, who's going to intro her. Hello. Good morning, church. My name is Cassidy Pearson, um, and this is Ruby. And I have had the privilege over the last three years to be her cell group leader um, and got to know her um, more deeply over this last year um, doing discipleship with her. And so today we are celebrating something super exciting. Um, Ruby has followed the Lord for quite a few years now, but a few months ago, Ruby approached me about getting baptized. And so today we are celebrating the life change that she has experienced um, with Jesus Christ. And so today we are celebrating um, what Jesus has done for her um, through baptism. And so baptism here at Fellowship um, is a celebration of the life change and the recognition of what Jesus has done and knowing and believing that Jesus died for our sins um, and rose again um, to give us eternal life. So we're here today to celebrate that with Ruby. Ruby, you see everybody here with us. We want to celebrate this day with you. It's a very special day for us. You are a person of grace and love. And we just really want to say thank you for being in our lives. And thank you for being so special. And one thing I love about you, as everybody tells us, is what a great smile you got. I think that is God showing, overflowing from you. So, Ruby, is it your testimony that you have chosen Jesus Christ to pay for your sins and give you eternal life? I now baptize you in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with us this morning as we praise our Savior? Let our praise. Let our praise. 
that great song of praise and that knowledge that he is our one desire so let's turn our eyes and our hearts now to the one who has redeemed us the one who has called us by name the one who says that we are his and because he's with us we won't be overwhelmed Just what 
together hallelujah
Stand in that silence for a minute. We stand in the honor of a creator who made not just our lives, but all days and times, all seasons, all ages, all galaxies. Oh God, your power, it's almighty, it's sovereign. You hold a universe in the palm of your hand, how large you must be. And yet you take your power and you use it for us to bless and to love and to do good. You model how power should always be used. You did so on the first day of creation when you made us in your image. You are good. But you did so after we fell, by recreating us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are good, you are strong, and we, your people, stand in your presence, and we believe, we believe that you will keep creating the image of Jesus in our lives and keep changing us. And so now, we boldly come in the name of the good and the powerful God, and we ask you, teach us through your word. We're listening. Our hearts are open. Thank you for the Spirit of God. Thank you for the Word of God. And oh, thank you this morning that we get to assemble as the people of God. And so we gladly say to you, amen. And good morning. And wow, thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Andrew, thank you so much. Once again, each and every week I'm here, I'm reminded of why I love to be with you, with the gathered people of God. So good. 
Hey, 20 years ago, uh, around 20 years ago, maybe a touch more than that, I taught at a conference where my co-speaker was a man named Dr. Wayne Grudem. And for some people, that name rings a bell to you because he is a well-known writer, well-known theologian, uh, professor, academic, even pastor. And uh, during a lunch break I had with him, we were talking offline, having some sandwiches together, and I said, Wayne, why did you just leave your profession, your position at a highly respected graduate school up north, and this summer choose to move to a little-known smaller school down in Phoenix? And he said, well, it came because I was reading Ephesians 5. And the Lord spoke to me uh, through his word in a real practical way. And he said, it was so odd because I opened that passage and my first thought that morning as I was reading my Bible is, I have written hundreds of articles on this passage. In fact, truthfully, he's published several books on this passage. Actually, he was the translator for the ESV Bible for the book of Ephesians. So I felt like I knew the passage pretty well. And yet in the middle of praying, asking God to speak freshly to me, I heard him say, Wayne, Margaret's health is not getting any better here where we are living. Will you do what is best for her? And so I resigned my job and we moved to the Southwest so her health could take front shelf in our lives. You know, if an author, professor, theologian, translator of Ephesians can get a fresh word of God, I'm just going to go out on a limb and think, I think you and I might be as well able to do so. So here's what I'm going to ask. We're going to jump into a very familiar passage on marriage this morning. First thing I'm going to ask is don't tune out. Don't tune out because, number one, it's familiar. Don't tune out if you're single, thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. And don't tune out because you might bring some prejudice to this passage. Instead, trust the same Spirit of God the same word of God, to take us through the same process of change. The Apostle Paul is the one who said that uh, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it actually is beneficial to all of God's people for teaching and for training us in right living. So all of God's people probably means all of God's people, single, married, divorced. God has something in this for us. The passage is in Ephesians 5, verse 22, but... As you know by now, all Scripture has a context, and this passage does as well, and the context happens in the last verse that Hunter House left us with last week, and it's Ephesians 5.21. The umbrella context of this next two weeks, this morning and next week, is this verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, which means that once we take Jesus as the Savior of our lives, he places us up under his leadership, and he places us in his larger body of Christ called the church. And a body can only function by submitting to one another. Submitting, what does it mean? Well, it's a military term. It actually comes from a Greek word with two words brought together, hupo tasso. Hupo means under. Tasso means arranged. Submit basically means we've been arranged up under one another. Who did the arranging? Jesus did, according to verse 21, the head of the body. And as our head, Jesus arranges an order of authority in our relationships. So that means as a Christian, I wake up every day and no longer can I have an attitude to my life that says, you are not the boss of me. No, instead, I know we submit ourselves to one another. 
We're arranged up under one another in some very specific ways. Why does Jesus do it this way? Why does he arrange an authority relationship in some of our relationships? And the answer is because he too lives hupotasso, arranged up under. Uh, the Bible actually teaches that there are seven authority relationships. Uh, this is the ones that I could find. If you find an eighth one that I've been missing, please email me. I want to grow as well. But as I survey the scriptures, I see seven authority relationships that the Bible lays out. Uh, the first one, it tells us that God the Son, or excuse me, God the Father is over God the Son. Secondly, the Christ is over the church. The church elders are over believers. That government is over citizens. Husbands are over wives, parents are over children, masters are over slaves. Was well, God the Son, Jesus is equal to God the Father, right? We who believe in the Bible's teaching about the Trinity say yes and yes. But as a result, Jesus chooses to take that equality and submit himself under the leadership of the Father. That's why there's harmony and peace. That's why there's joy even in the Trinity. The Trinity himself is the happiest being in the universe at this very moment. And in the same way, God has arranged a divine order in all relationships, and embracing that order actually brings the same kind of harmony and peace and even joy in our relationships. It's actually how human beings flourish best. The book of Ephesians actually teaches four of those seven authority relationships. You see them bold-faced on the slide there. This morning, we're gonna look at the relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, before we look at what Paul says, we need to look at why he says it. Uh, Paul is gonna give us next two paragraphs, one paragraph talking to wives, another paragraph talking to husbands. But then after that, he's gonna give a why behind these two what's. When he gives us a why, he is giving us vision. And vision is enormous. And you and I know, if you've ever been the volunteer t-ball coach for your child's team, you know that vision is essential because you give a wooden heavy stick to a five-year-old and if you don't explain the why of the game, he might turn around and hit the catcher who's saying, hey, batter, batter to him. No, he needs a vision to know that he's supposed to swing at the ball, not swing at the one shouting at him. We as well need vision. And so let's go to vision before we go to the specific what's. We see it picked up at the end of Ephesians 5, verse 30 through 32. Here's the vision. Husbands and wives, it says, we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But, or some of the translations say, and... I'm talking about Christ and the church. Men and women, everything Paul will say this morning about husbands and wives, about men and women, is rooted in this bigger picture vision. This is a big and bold and bright vision for every married couple. It gives us three truths that we must embrace if we're gonna get God's vision for marriage. The first truth you see right away in verse 30. When it tells us that we are members of his body, it tells us that husbands and wives are full and equal partners in marriage. All teaching on submission must be rooted here because submission is not inferiority. 
In fact, there's only one superior person in my marriage to Lisa. That's Jesus. We don't even talk about rank with one another because we know that we're equal partners in marriage. Lisa and I have equal worth, equal value, equal dignity, equal status. In fact, she's far more gifted in many ways than I am, and I have some strengths that, that she doesn't have. The question, though, of value, it's just settled. Never brought up, never thought of, because it was settled by God when he created men and women. Folks, that is page one of the Bible. And if you don't buy into the truth of page one, it is impossible to buy in and have a passion for godly marriage. Second thing you see, though, is the next verse, verse 31. Verse 31 says, husbands and wives must see God's original design for marriage. Where do you see that? Notice how verse 31 is actually in quotation marks. That's because it's a quotation from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. That's the verse that was given when God made Adam and Eve and brought them together as the first married couple. I'll be dogmatic and tell you that I believe Genesis 2.24 is the most important verse on marriage in all of the Bible. The reason I'm dogmatic about that is it's the verse that Jesus chooses to quote when he's asked about marriage. It's the verse that Paul chooses to quote when he's asked about marriage. It's so foundational because it gives us God's original vision for how a husband and wife can live together in the best of ways. And that tells me right up front that when we open up the commands in Ephesians 5, which we're going to do in a minute, Ephesians 5 is not teaching some kind of first century patriarchy. It's just trying to oppress women or, or keep them in their place. No, we see the vision in front of us. And the vision is that Ephesians 5 is restating God's original created design for all times and all couples. Vision matters that much. What is the vision? You ready for it? The next verse we've already read, verse 32. Verse 32 says, this is a profound mystery. I am now talking about Christ and the church. In other words, he says, oh, you think your marriage, husbands and wives, is just about you? Oh, think bigger. Dream bigger. I'm talking about a relationship where a husband and wife can come together in such unity that they show off a picture of God. See, if Genesis 2.24 is God's big picture vision of marriage, this is the vision. A man and a woman come together in covenant oneness for the purpose of picturing someone much bigger than themselves. Picturing the God who wants to show off in their daily relationship. I see a couple of my adult kids in here, even my young adult son. They've heard me say a million times, I might as well say it a million and one. I believe passion follows purpose all day, every day. It will at your work tomorrow. If you're only gonna go to work to earn a paycheck, your passion for your job's pretty low. If you're gonna go to work for a bigger dream and a bigger vision, your passion will go up. Well, so it is for our marriages. If you wanna live with higher passion in life, then aim for higher to a bigger purpose. And there is no higher purpose for a husband and wife's marriage than an opportunity to show off an extraordinary God in a ridiculously ordinary couple. Talk about a privilege. Lisa and I got married young, very young. 
Uh, we went to a small church that didn't really have nor believe in the value of premarital counseling. So we went and asked for premarital counseling, and they looked at me just like we were crazy. And we had no premarital counseling as a result, and uh, probably in the first five years, it probably showed a little bit, didn't it? Uh, but we did actually get the best premarital counseling we've ever received about half a second before we were pronounced husband and wife. The pastor of our church had just gone through our vows, and right before he was going to pronounce us husband and wife, he stopped, and he said, Mark, Lisa, from this day forward, go make your marriage a great picture of Jesus Christ. We were 22 and went, Oh, that's why we're up here. That's the vision. And no vision has fueled our marriage more than every ordinary day be an opportunity to show off the one who brought us together and made us in our daily relationship. So if that's the big picture vision, how does a husband and wife actually do their part to come together in covenant oneness to show off that kind of God? Well, there again, there's two paragraphs. First one to the wives, Second one to the husbands. Let's touch the first paragraph first. Verse 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of, of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything needs to be said right up front that the command submit is in the middle voice, not the active voice. And what that means in common speak is this. That means literally, it means submit yourself to your husband. It does not mean be subjected by your husband. This is a, a wife who willingly, voluntarily arranges herself under her husband. Husbands, that means that this is a command from God to our wives, not a command from us to our wives. That would be an abuse of authority. And then, this is her response to God's leadership in her life. We'll talk about our response in a minute. But let's notice two important things that I see right in the text here. It says, wives, submit yourselves, it says, to your own husband. And that means that the Bible does not tell all women to submit to all men. If you've heard that somewhere in the church by, or by any other preachers or writers, I'm sorry. That's just wrong and it doesn't come from God's word. The Bible calls a wife to come up under her own husband where a covenant relationship of protection is already established. Submission is the, the, lock, the working out of that which is why the second thing to see is there is that wives submit to your own husband, and there's a qualifier, as to the Lord. So submission is the logical outworking of God's leadership in a wife's life. So you submit to your husband's wives not because you think he's an amazing spiritual leader. You actually submit because you believe that Jesus is an amazing spiritual leader. And he has given these assignments for the flourishing of your relationship. You follow your husband because you're already a follower of Jesus. And yet that begs the question, I've got it in my mind and I hope you have it in your mind. Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but, yeah, but. What about? 
when your husband is not following Jesus very well, and not following God at all. We've written a lot at Fellowship on this. Uh, if you go to our website and you go to our training center page, you can look up curriculum on our Divine Portrait uh, uh, Marriage Curriculum. You can also look at our re-engage ministry. We've got a lot more to say, but shortly, let me just say two things. First of all, wives, you've probably noticed by now, your husband will not follow Jesus perfectly, but you're still called to follow him. And so if you're married, following Jesus means coming up under and supporting your husband, meaning uh, even when he is off kilter and off course, you don't wear him out to put him down, break him down. You continue to look to use your strength and the dignity and the power of your voice to build him up and make him all of God's man that God has vision for. Wives, the way you follow us is an enormous influence in our life. But what about in those situations where a wife is being abused by her husband? If you are a wife in an abusive marriage, you are not trapped. You feel very vulnerable right now to pull out just a little bit and remember that a husband over a wife is just one of the authority relationships in marriage. If your husband is moving in a way that has become dangerous and unsafe, you need to look to two other authority relationships in your life. You need to go to your church, come to the pastors or the elders and say, this is going on in my marriage and it's toxic and become dangerous. And if it becomes even violent and unsafe, you need to go to the other authority in your life, which is our governing authorities. You go to the police. I've sat with a woman in our body who brought some of these issues to me. And I looked at her and said, you know you're being abused, right? And she said, am I? Because it had been so long and so consistent, she started to doubt her own good judgment. And I said, do you love him? She said, yes. And I said, then seek his best. You started for step one by telling me, let's bring in some other elders. And if he moves in a way that becomes dangerous, 911 is your next call. And she did that. And it not only blessed her, it actually blessed him. Because during that time in jail, he became sober. His life became changed. And Ten years now into that process, they're a couple that helps guide other toxic couples to a place of healing and health. Yeah, you are not trapped. Thirty years ago, Lisa and I were asked to lead our first community group. We were very young and married. We said, no, we're too young. Our pastor was persistent. He said, all you need to do is stay one week ahead of the rest of the group. And so we led a community group of three other young married couples and two other engaged couples. It was a super vivacious group, more fun than we should ever be deserved to allowed to have. We were actually walking through the book of Ephesians, very similar to what we're doing right now as a congregation, 
One of the engaged couples, I'll call the, the woman of that engaged couple, Sue, because she lives still in the broader northwest Arkansas area. One of the couples, Sue, she was probably the brightest spark in the group. She was lively. She was sharp. She uh, commented things that just kind of caused us either to both laugh or to think better. And yet we got to Ephesians chapter 5. The passage that night was 22 through 33, and she was stone-cold silence. And halfway through the group, she was agitated. She kept thumping her pen on her Bible. And so I said, Sue, you look like you're thinking about something. What's up? And she said, nothing. And she, I can't even get the tone right. Lisa, you'll have to help me with the tone. She said it in that way. When somebody says nothing, it's a truckload of something. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you could tell because six, well, I guess probably 10 other pairs of eyes started looking at their shoes. Nobody knew what to do. It was just awkward in the room. And I just went, it seems to me like you're thinking about something. And she said, okay, I'll say it. I hate this passage. And I said, why? She said, because it calls a woman to be a doormat to a man, and I'm sick of it. I didn't know what to do with that. So I said, you know what? You might be right. We won't know until we put our eyes and our noses in God's word and see what it says. I mean, really, does a community group just need a group of people pontificating about their opinions of life? That's not so helpful, especially when we were all in our young 20s. And so we put our head down and we started working through the passage. I said, let's just do this. Just underline everything it says to a wife in this passage and circle everything it says to a husband. And let's see what the passage says. You know what we found? You can only make two underlines for the wife and it's the paragraph we have on the screen right now. But you could circle about nine underlines to the husband in the next paragraph. Let's look at it together. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy, blameless. What a beautiful vision. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does the church. So husbands, our commands quite simply are to lead and to love our wives like Christ leads and loves his bride, the church. And what's so amazing here and so counterculture in Paul's term is not just that he causes, calls a husband to do that kind of self-sacrificing leadership, but he even uses words that the Ephesian ears would not have been used to hearing. You see, in Paul's day in the Greek, he had a lot of words he could have picked from to talk about love. We don't. So we say things like, I love sushi and I love my wife in the same sentence. They're not the same, right? Paul had different words to use at his disposal. Now, typically when the Greeks wrote about marriage, they used words like eros, which we get our word erotic, from, talking about a romantic sexual love, and you use the word phileo, which is our word friendship. Now listen, I believe that married couples in the best of days can live as friends and lovers, but it only comes because of this kind of love that's in the passage, which is the word agape, unconditional love, a love that puts someone else's needs first 
regardless of personal cost. That's why he says, love her like Christ loved the church. See, notice he doesn't tell us to love husbands or wives because they're lovely. He tells us to love like Christ loved the church. Love in a way that makes them more lovely still. I don't love Lisa because she's lovely, though this woman is easy to love. Love her in hopes that she'll continue to flourish all the days God gives us. And that means we move in a self-sacrificing way. Ephesians 5 actually goes on to describe this kind of unconditional love. It says, love like Christ. What does that mean? It says, well, we give ourselves for her. Now, husbands, I know that still sounds kind of esoteric because unless I'm mistaken, tomorrow morning I'm not going to be called to actually go on a literal cross for Lisa. So what would it mean to live that kind of self-sacrificing and give myself to my my marriage. So Paul says, well, then let me get very practical, men. And in verse 29, he gives us an example that every one of us can get at this moment. In verse 29, he says, treat her as though she is more precious than your own body. So when my body is hungry, I walk it into the kitchen and I make it a sandwich. And then when my body is tired, I go to the living room and I lay it down on the sofa for a nap. And when my body was sick like it was this week, I had the man flu all week and I took care of myself. The point is this. We know what that looks like because we do it all the time for ourselves. Paul says here, husband's love does that same kind of sacrificial action and attitude for our wives. How do we know it's an attitude as well as an action? Well, because you see the words feed and care there. Other versions, like if you have an English Standard Version, ESV, or a New American Standard, it'll say nourish and cherish. I personally really like those words, nourish and cherish. They're kind of powerful and, and meaty. And we know that to feed or nourish something is an action. It actually takes action to feed someone. But we also know that care and cherish is an attitude. It's because I believe somebody is more valuable than myself. And that's his point. We love in a way that both attitude and action lifts our wife up for her good more than anyone else's. You know, in that community group 30 years ago, by the time we got through the second paragraph, the husband's calling, Sue became her old, inquisitive, sparky, soft self because she started seeing Ephesians 5 is not a subjugation of women to men or wives to husband, but it's a partnership of equals that bring out life in one another. Remember, these two paragraphs, a wife to, to follow, a husband to love and lead, they come right before this vision, which means partnership to mirror God in the oneness of their marriage. And after this vision in 32 through, or 30 through 32, Paul gives the punchline in verse 33. He sums it all up, and he says, however, Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the summary. A wife that respects, I think Lisa has opened my eyes to help me see that one of the most powerful ways a wife submits to her husband is through the power of respect. And one of the most powerful ways that a husband leads his wife is through the power of unconditional love. But in this text we've read, I want you to see that Paul gives husbands and wives two unique commands. This is what they look like. 
A husband, his job is to lead and to love his wife like Christ leads and loves his bride, the church. A wife, she follows and respects her husband. And both of those, men and women, are an act of submission. See, the the husband is actually submitting himself to the Lord and to his wife by self-sacrificing in the way he loves. And a wife is submitting herself to the Lord and to her husband in the way she comes up under and follows her husband. These commands are not natural for us. They cut across the grain of the way we're wired as men and women and the way even our flesh has fallen in sin. But if I could... If I could do something cheesy, like do hand motions for this passage, it would look like this. Equal partners. Wives, come up under your husbands and build him up in the way you follow and respect him. Husbands, feed off the strength she is giving and lay yourself down for her. For all of the needs she might have, you would give yourself to her this way. Wives, continue to put yourself under and build that man up. Husbands, lay your lives down for the good of that woman. And oh my goodness, is it me or nobody complains about a beautiful dance of marriage like that. It's a win-win relationship. Equals coming together in partnership, God getting glory for that relationship, and the husband and the wife finding themselves filled up and built up. I can't tell you which comes first in this diagram, the chicken or the egg. I cannot tell you whether a loving and leading man produces a wife that wants to follow and respect or a wife that wants to follow and respect produces a loving and leading man. I just know this couple has never had an argument about that. They've just enjoyed the dance of that marriage. And men and women, listen, this is not cookie cutter marriage. Nowhere have we seen in Ephesians 5 this morning that it tells us who works outside the home who makes more money, whose career is more, uh, uh, more uh, the priority for that season of life. It doesn't tell us what chores are done inside the house. The stuff that we typically think it talks about is not mentioned here. It's an attitude of the heart that comes up underneath one another for a sense of God-glorifying teamwork in marriage. And you know what I know? That life is impossible on our own which is why the previous command to all these marriage commands came in Ephesians 5.18. Hunter said it last week. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's Paul's coaching. Don't be foolish enough to think you can pull off a godly marriage without the Spirit of God. We need God's power and his leadership in our life to live out our assignment for that kind of teamwork. I feel like one thing that's missing in this message is this. It's a woman's voice. (laughs) And so I want to ask the wisest and the godliest woman that I know, it happens to be the one I live with, to come and help me finish this message. Lisa, thank you, sweetheart. Hello, good morning. (laughs) Honey, I know... um, your favorite ministry contexts are in groups slightly smaller than this one. Slightly. So yes. thank you for jumping in on this because I really do believe we, we need your voice. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you jumping in. Oh, my pleasure. So, I think. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> hey, you and I have this little saying that we'll say to one another occasionally uh, and have really for a couple of decades where we say that we're always rookies all the time in our marriage. What do we mean by that? 
Well, we're always growing. We're always in a new place. Uh, we've been married 36 years. We have five kids. We're getting ready to have our sixth grandchild in February. We care for elderly parents and kind of steward over them. And then um, we still are raising one in the home, which I'm grateful that he's still in my home. I'm not ready for empty nest. But yeah. we're always changing. So keeping, keeping just the, the posture of humility keeps us humble and keeps us learning. So we are rookies all the time. Yeah. Yeah, the day we actually act like experts, I think, is the day that it begins to go south fastest. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, knowing, though, that we've had different seasons in our marriage, when you were younger and you looked at Ephesians chapter 5, uh, what was your reaction? I hated it. Mm. I didn't like it. I really had one or, of two responses that I saw. I avoided it. I didn't understand it, so it was easier just to deny it and just not deal with it. Um, the second reaction that I saw in some of my friends was just to reject it out of anger. There was just an attitude of God, that can't be what God intends. But really both of our reactions came from just a lack of understanding of this passage. Mainly, what is submission and how do we live it? Okay, so, so. go there for us a little bit. What is submission? How would you start to unpack that a little bit for us? Well, I think it's easier to start with what submission is not. So first, we are not inferior. Women are not beneath men in worth or value. And we do not have a lesser role in marriage. I know that sometimes it might feel like that, but we really don't. Women have been given a big vision and a big calling. And um, we are, we're committed to that. So, okay. so then I would say that um, we just have different assignments. But I'd say that women also, as Mark has said, women do not submit to all men. Only wives submit to their own house, husbands. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And then also, submission is not silent or passive. We need to use our voice. We've been given a voice. That's why there's two people in a marriage. They need that, those different voices. Um, women, we have a lot of strengths and gifting that helps make our wife's strong voice very needed. Yeah, so. so if that's what it's not, flip it over and go with what is submission? Well, submission is, first, a respect for an assignment given by God. I follow you in our marriage because I follow Christ. I believe in the truth of Ephesians 5 because I know that God is good and that his word is true. Mm -hmm. So, But you really, regardless of whether I fully understand why God gave me this assignment, I embrace it because I submit to God and his word. That's good. So. What else about submission? It's also a respect for a husband's and his role. Um, respecting my husband looks like honor, encouragement, building him up, being other-centered, giving praise, using my words to empower and not tear him down. So, and then lastly, submission is a yielding of two equals to one another in love. In other words, it is the surrender of control or selfish agenda for the good of the other in the marriage. So I would say if submission was a sound, then this is the tone that we have. How is our tone with our husbands? Is it clashing or is it harmonious? Hmm. Or if it, was, if it was a climate, this would be the temperature we have, so, or the temperature that we set. But either way, submission is so much more the attitude of our heart and not just our actions. Okay. So what does that play out to kind of in a marriage? Well, I think it, this attitude, this heart attitude promotes um, a harmony and honor and understanding, support. It demonstrates a care for our husbands, and it creates teamwork. And really, this is really what we all want in, this, uh, in a relationship. Embracing our own assignments is just how we get there. You know, I have the privilege on Tuesday mornings to uh, be in a Discover Bible study, which I see a few of the women down here that have been taking it with me. 
If you ever get a chance to take it, I would highly recommend. We get to study verses uh, verse by verse, and it's just a great, great thing. We had the privilege of unpacking this uh, passage together a couple weeks ago, and it was great wrestling that through together. But we ended up looking up Ephesians 5.22 in the Message Bible, and this is what it says. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. This really just allowed me to have a glimpse on what this assignment looks like. But as Mark said earlier, it really will look different in every marriage. It doesn't matter what you do for work or, or salary or how you divide up chores. That's really not the issue. The issue is a godly marriage is the wife and husband embracing their assignments to see oneness happen. Yeah, it's so critical that we keep the main thing the main thing. Um, and that all sounds great. But think about... Um, like those times, okay, think about that one time that one when time. I wasn't <laughs> leading and loving like I should have been. I just hardly yeah. can remember. Yeah, you remember? It's yes. been so frequent. I mean, so, so, so long frequent. ago. Yeah, yes. it's so long ago. Maybe on our honeymoon or something. <laughs> yeah, long time ago. Uh, no, but in those times <laughs> that I'm not loving and leading you like Christ, that I'm just not following Jesus very well, what does that mean for you? Well, it makes it a lot harder. I don't want to follow you in those situations. It's really, really difficult. But I have to start by looking at my assignment in marriage. I have to focus here first. How am I doing with what God called me to do? Mm. You know, our re-engaged ministry has a great saying. It says, draw a circle around yourself and, and work on everyone inside that circle. So mm. I have to look at myself first and how I'm doing. But then I pray for you. I pray for God to change, mm. change your heart and give you what you need. As much as I would like to control you, I can't control heart change, so I have to leave it, leave it to God. So, um, so then I pray for you. But then I use my voice. I think it's important to use my voice in a way that, that changes the climate and tone in our marriage. Um, I want to live in a way that inspires you to change and not forces you or controls you into the change. That's good. We do that. Um, so when I'm at my best, and I guess I'm asking this question to open it up for you to coach us as men and as husbands, uh, when I'm at my best, um, what does loving and leading you well look like? Well, it looks like initiative and care. You really watch over the needs of our family, both spiritually, emotionally, physically, and you assess to see how we're doing and you care about how we're doing. And then you inspire and initiate change on what change needs to be. So I see it in that. And then I see it in the way you serve. You are an incredibly humble servant. You're probably the lead servant in our household and that you do whatever our family needs at the time. Hmm. So, and I would say to husbands, if you're struggling, some of you might be struggling with what does spiritual look like, spiritual leadership look like in my home? And if I could boil it down, I would say initiate and serve. If you do those two things together, I think you'll be a very strong, loving leader. Hey, if I could pause you there. If you're single and a man right now, particularly our high school students over here, a lot of buzzword gets thrown out about you about learning how at this stage in your life to step up and be a spiritual leader, and that's fuzzy. So mm -hmm. let's go down to that boil down. Mm -hmm. It means this, initiate and serve. Initiate with others and serve them. And then the leadership starts to kind of take care of itself, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But now it's my turn to turn it on you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so when I'm at my best, how do I follow through respect that empowers you? Yeah, first and foremost, it's when I see you walking strongly with the Lord and being all the woman that God made you to be. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, it, when I see that, it, there's something that happens in you, and uh, you become comfortable and confident in your calling and in your role. There's mm-hmm. a strength that kind of rises out of you mm-hmm. um, that actually is very empowering, and I, I don't think that's just for me. I think that's empowering for your children, your grandchildren, your friendships, and people well, around you as and well. And I think that's for women, too. I mean, for me, the greatest thing that you do to lead is to pursue Christ. Mm. If I see you pursuing Christ, then I know that he's leading and teaching you, and that makes it so much easier to follow for me. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, I would also say it's, uh, it's when I see you using your voice well mm. in my life, um, because you do have a strong voice. We've been through seasons where I have leaned on your voice for encouragement and faith. I believe you have the gift of faith. You see possibilities, sometimes more than I do, and... Uh, and we've been through some really hard seasons where that voice has been empowering for us as a couple. Um, but I've also seen you use that uh, when you've used your strong voice to call me out of times that I've walked selfishly. Mm-hmm. Submission for you doesn't mean you just keep your voice quiet and withdraw. Mm-hmm. Um, you've used it wisely. I, I still remember, I don't remember how long we've been married. I just remember our, our third child was just born, so it's probably over 30, over 30 years ago. Um, I remember we were in a very spirited discussion in the kitchen. It, some people would call it an argument. Um, and I'm sure you started it. Yeah, I'm sure you started it. Thank you. I'm sure you started it. It doesn't even matter what it's about. I don't know if I could remember what it was about. All I remember is I was trying to prove my point, and I was persisting and persisting, and this competitiveness was coming out in me. And I remember you took a step towards me and held up your finger at me, And you said, Mark, stop for a minute. You're probably going to win this argument because you're better with words. But that doesn't make you right. So before you go any further, do you want to be, do you want to win an argument or do you want to win at our marriage? Mm -hmm. That was a beautiful empowering of your voice coming in. Help me see a young competitive man who has lost his vision for oneness. And you coming in with your voice in a strong, powerful way that completes. And so that, those are the times I see it, when you walk strongly with the Lord and you use that voice in either a building up or even a, a calling out kind of way. Um, hey, I want to be sensitive to time. We're almost there. Um, do you have any, any final words, thoughts, encouragements for us? Yeah, I think that um, both husband and wife need to remember that you have an equal voice and an equal influence in one another's life. One is not superior to the other. I would say then to live out your own assignment as to the Lord. That's really ultimately who we're serving and loving. We're doing our assignment because we love and follow him. And then third, pursue oneness. Um, the goal of a Christian marriage is oneness. The goal is not who leads and who follows or submission and leading. The goal is oneness. So produce that one. Our assignments are just how we get there in marriage, but the goal is oneness. Yeah, did you catch that? I hope that when she came home from that Discover Bible study as they were working through that passage, that was the little aha I had in that passage. The goal is not, am I leading and is she submitting? Am I loving and is she respecting? That's the path to the goal. The goal is God-glorifying oneness mm-hmm. in marriage. I just thought it was huge. When you said that, I don't know, a week or two ago, I was like, yep, yep, mm-hmm. and that's why I need your voice. Mm-hmm. So let me do this. Let me ask you to pray for us, um, pray for husbands and wives, pray for singles as well in our body. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So to singles, I would just say, choose wisely. <laughs> and let's hope that was a compliment. It is, here. it is, it is. Choose Why is wisely. that so threatening to me when I hear that? <laughs> All my insecurities are raising up at that moment. No, no it's good. So, no. So, so pray for us okay. as husbands, as wives, as singles, that we would have that sense of God-glorifying oneness in our marriages. All right. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be here this morning, and we're so grateful that you give us opportunities to deal with hard, tough topics and uh, be able to wrestle it through together and learn from you. Lord, I pray that you would be our guide, um, not what culture tells us or anything else, but that your word would be what leads us and how we respond. Lord, I pray for husbands. I pray that they would lead through the way they love. Lord, and for wives, I pray that they would follow through the way they respect. And Lord, for the couples in here, I would just pray for oneness and harmony, that that would be the goal, would be oneness, and that harmony would be the result in their relationship. And Lord, for each one of us as we go out this week in the situations that you put us in, in the people that we encounter, Jesus, I pray that we would be a sweet aroma of you everywhere we go and in everything we say. So we pray all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sweetheart. Mm -hmm. um, hey, I did, as Lisa was praying, it occurs to me, uh, if this has not just scratched an itch for you in your marriage, but maybe has touched a tender place or a wound, um, please use our counseling and care ministry as a next step. The women and men who lead us and serve us in that ministry are there to lead and serve you. It's who I would send my friends and family members to first if they were in that same place. So please reach out. All you have to do is call Fellowship's main number. It's on the website and ask for the counseling and care ministry. And we'd be loved to help walk you through uh, some next steps. Hey, several things in front of us. Uh, if there's a way we can also pray with you, pray for you, we wanna help you do that. And so Jeff and Christina Gross, good friends over here, are sitting in right in front of the baptistry. And if you've walked with something in your life that's heavy, uh, don't leave alone. Let us carry the burden with you by having somebody pray with you, and not just for you, but with you. And secondly, if you're brand new, uh, you are part of the reason why we're here. We love our new neighbors, and we'd love to say hi and to get to know you. So our welcome and connections team is at the uh, com uh, community booth right across the foyer. Uh, and then as well, oops, I went the wrong way. Then as well, we have a newcomers gathering that is in those fellowship student ministries room, the FSM room right across the courtyard. So if you're brand new, want to know a little more about this church, just for a few minutes. It's not a long meeting. You can even pick up your kids and bring your kids over there. Uh, our staff and some of our Welcome and Connections team would love to meet with you and answer any questions. And then uh, this Tuesday, we know we've got an important day for our community, important day for our nation. And I hope you're engaging in the privilege of the process. We get to pray. We get to participate through our vote. And so I hope if you haven't voted early, you'll do so on Monday or at least vote on Election Day on Tuesday. God bless you, Fellowship Bentonville. Look forward to worshiping with you next week as we look at parenting and work together under the leadership of Jesus. Have a great week.